Welcome to My Morning Cup, a podcast produced by Costa Media Advisors, a strategic communications company. My Morning Cup, where we have interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm Mike Costa, your host. My guest this week is actually two guests, Chris and Mandy Simmons. Chris and Mandy are the husband-wife team behind Six Strong Media, a video production firm that started locally and is now doing business on a national scale. Chris and Mandy, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before we delve into why you named your company Six Strong Media and your path to success, let me ask, what's in your morning cup? Chris? Oh, man. Uh, well, right now it's a delicious cup of coffee that you made for me, but normally it's a, either a, a cafe latte from Starbucks or, uh, you know, some kind of Starbucks Keurig that we have at the office. The fancy stuff. The fancy oh, stuff. Bougie. And how about you, Mandy? Well, right now it's the cost of coffee. That's, that's some great coffee, isn't it? But yeah, no, I either go tea or coffee. It depends on the day. Yeah. What determines that? I typically do the fasting, like the 16-8 fasting. So if I'm trying to be really good, I'll do do tea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here. I've gotten to know both of you over the last 20 years in different ways. And I'm really impressed with what you've done with your company and path that you've taken to it. And that's what I want to talk about. And this is a little unusual for us in that we've got two guests instead of one. So we get to hear the two paths of success. And I want to start with you, Mandy. You grew up in South Alabama. Did I did a small town called Atmore near Mobile, and then went to school in Troy University, which was Troy State at the time. It was, wasn't it? But they were still the Trojans, right? They were, and they are, yes. And I mean, I was there when they went uh, Division One AA football, so it's been a minute since I've been there. And then I moved to Chattanooga for an internship at the Chattanooga Chamber. Oh, wow. So that's what brought me here. What year was that? Ooh, thanks, Mike. Um, 2003. <laughs> so you got here in 2003, and Chris, along a parallel line, you grew up a Navy, Army brat, military brat? Navy, yeah. Born in Okinawa, Japan. Um, was there for about a year, then spent some time in uh, San Francisco, California, then bounced back and forth between like Virginia and Florida. His dad was going through like officer school, things like that. And then really spent the rest of my childhood in Azores, Portugal, and back to Okinawa, which is where I spent most of my high school years. And then I finished high school in Naples, Italy. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was tough. It was tough. Yeah, high school in Naples, Italy. How yeah. in the world is that got? Was that fun? You know, I tell you, it was a great time, but definitely didn't appreciate it the way that I should have, you know. But yeah, it was it was a great way to spend your senior year in high school, for sure. Now, the interesting thing I found was you were the team quarterback Yes. In Naples, Italy. Mm -hmm. So American football, very big there. Yeah. I mean, in Okinawa as well. I mean, in Okinawa, we lived on a Kadena Air Force base where there's like 30, 40,000 Americans. So, I mean, there's a couple thousand kids at my high school, you know, so it's very big over there and we play other military bases. They all have their own high school. And so we would play against those other high schools and Okinawa. We didn't travel much because we we're on the same island, but in Italy, I mean, we might have a 15 hour bus ride. Really? Yeah. And how are the crowns? Pretty good. So, I mean, typical high school stuff that you would see here in the U.S. I mean, there's not much else going on on military bases on Friday night other than, you know, parties. So <laughs> everybody came to the game, then went to the party afterwards. So you graduated uh, high school and then you end up at Carson Newman. What got you there? Yeah. So I actually, straight out of high school, I went to a small school in London, Kentucky, Sue Bennett College, uh, played there as a freshman. And then my sophomore year transferred to Carson Newman 
at the time I had kind of moved from quarterback to tight end and they wanted a tight end that could catch the ball. So, so both you end up here in Chattanooga in the early two thousands and Mandy, you're working at the chamber, you're doing an internship and talk about where that leads you. So I began as a communications intern and then Let's just say I had three different stints at the chamber. So, yeah. well, walk through those because it's a, it's an interesting path. Who was the uh, head of the chamber when you did your internship? Tom Ed Wilson. Tom Ed. What a good guy! Oh yeah, he was amazing. He was such a great mentor to everybody that worked with him. And a natty dresser too. I, oh my gosh, pristine every single day, never one wrinkle. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I came in as communications intern. Quickly uh, moved to events coordinator, which you know planned all the major events. You know, moved up a little bit there in the events world, left the chamber, went to the Chattanooga, did some hospitality for a year and a half, quickly ran back to the chamber. (laughs) What were you doing at the Chattanooga? My title was catering manager, so basically planning weddings and corporate events and things like that. Oh, my God, that had to be horrible. (laughs) There's a special place in heaven for people in the hospitality industry. Well, I say it had to be horrible because my oldest daughter is planning a wedding in Mm. Austin, and I'm just kind of off here in the periphery (laughs) by choice. Oh, yeah, (laughs) for sure. It it was definitely an interesting time. Gave me great perspective into the event world from the facility side. But the minute the chamber job, uh, the events manager job came back open, they called, like, would you be interested in coming back? I'm like, yes, please, immediately. (laughs) What what was your takeaway from that job? You know, brides are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It was really awesome. I mean, it truly was good to see how the facilities worked and ran. And so you you really did know where pricing came in, so where you could negotiate and where you couldn't. Mm -hmm. But I swear the biggest takeaway is truly the hospitality industry. Those professionals are just (laughs) underappreciated, you know, because they're working when everybody else doesn't want to. Yeah, the party's going on and they're doing all the work. And, you know, they work in the pre-setup, they work during the event, they work when it's being torn down, too. Oh, yeah. And I think that the icing on the cake was like during the holidays, you know. I mean, over Christmas, I think I worked, I think one week we had 15 or 16 holiday parties. So it was, you know, 14, 15, 16-hour days. And I'm just like, you know, bless the people that this is for, but this isn't for me long term. <laughs> yeah. And Chris, along this same time, you're graduating from Carson Newman, and your degree is in mass communication? Yeah, mass communication with an emphasis in telecommunications, which was really just a fancy way of saying TV production. So you knew pretty soon on what you wanted to do. Yeah, I had uh, my plan A was to be a professional football player, and uh-huh. plan B was to uh, be in video production. So, Well, I think plan B's worked out pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, really have always had a passion for film and production, even as a kid before I really, the thing that I always say is I was young when I realized or when I thought to myself, why is what I'm seeing on TV look different than what I shoot out of my dad's camcorder, you know? So it was just kind of started a a passion for figuring out film, why it was different, why it looked different. And then uh, one day I was at a play at the high school. I was coming out of eighth grade and I was at a play at the high school and I noticed all these kids running around with video cameras shooting the play. And I thought, that's interesting. And then I figured out that the high school had a great TV production program, kind of like the, uh, I don't know, the pathways here, you know, it was kind of that same thing. You could choose that and take three or four classes a year in TV production. And so Really had a passion for it, loved it, had some natural talent. Uh, You know, I like to say I'm a very creative person, but I am terrible at all things that 
enable you to illustrate that creative ability, right? Can't draw, can't paint, <laughs> can't do any of the things. And so when I discovered video, I'm like, oh my gosh, finally, there's something that I can express my creativity with. Um, were you originally attracted as a kid to the TV shows and movies you were watching? And was that because you were moving around so much? Well, maybe because it was definitely a treat whenever you would see something on TV. Because for most of my childhood, there was one channel. I mean, it was the military channel, basically. So they decided. Oh, I never thought about that. You know, being in TV, it's like, think about how do you create programming or put programming in place on one channel that satisfies everybody, everybody, you know. You really don't. Right. (laughs) Right. So when you had a chance to see a movie that wasn't on that channel, that was a treat. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we would go to the theater and there'd be one movie that would play all week. And, you know, a lot of times you'd go the first time to see the movie and then you'd go the next five times just to hang out with friends, you know. What was the movie or show that kind of had you say, that's what I want to do? Was there something that stood out to you that in their technique or? Absolutely. I mean, hands down, uh, Forrest Gump. Really? Just because at the time, the stuff they were doing with special effects and putting him in different time periods and things was groundbreaking in production. Like the Lyndon Johnson scene? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> stuff like that. So I really, it really just fascinated me to see that that was possible. I mean, you know, Lieutenant Dan not having any legs the whole movie, even though he has legs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny you bring up Forrest Gump because that gives us a good opportunity to go back to Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Green, what was it, Greenbow? Greenbow. Greenbow. Rainbow, hey, Alabama. That's right. <laughs> so you're already out of Alabama, and you went to the Chattanooga and experienced that. And you got back to the chamber as events manager? Yes, came back as events manager, did that for a few years, and then moved to Louisville, Kentucky for a couple of years and did um, a couple of things there, worked for Leadership Louisville Center and the city of Louisville mm-hmm. um, in communications. While I was there, I had uh, my first child and then realized I was 12 hours away from my family and five hours away from my chosen family here in Chattanooga. So really wanted to get back here as fast as I could. And so the chamber called again (laughs) and I moved back as um, the director of the area councils. And so did that for a number of years. And what was it you were doing with the councils? What did that entail? And explain the councils a little bit. Yeah, so the chamber has um, 11 area councils and international business council as well. And so basically I was the liaison between their board of directors and the main chamber, as people like to call it. So each of the councils served a service area from East Brainerd to Ottawa downtown. And so each of those um, volunteer boards were to work with their elected officials and you know, stakeholders in the neighborhood just to make a difference in their little sub-communities of Chattanooga. Mm -hmm. How did that play into your communications degree? What skills did you have or need or take away from that? A lot. Um, So obviously just written and verbal communications, you know, and but more than anything, there were over 300 board members. And so just really being able to talk with these folks, encourage them, empower them, but also tactfully pull them back <laughs> at times when they, you know, when they're Without going offending to, them. Exactly. And there's been times I've had to fire a volunteer. So I really feel like that's where my PR communication story really have, have helped me with some of those more difficult situations as well. Yeah, particularly on the volunteer basis because someone's offering their time, yes. but if it's not helpful. Right. And around the same time, Chris, you came to Chattanooga, and I think I met you pretty early on, but you always knew you wanted to do video production after the football dream. So when I got injured as a uh, junior in college, so I decided 
this is way too painful to not be able to play at 100%. You know, college football hurts. So it's like if you're not actually on the depth chart to play, you know, you have to start looking at other options because it's pretty brutal. But uh, but yeah, so it was like, okay, at that point, plan B is in full effect. I was kind of working both in parallel. Um, so I was able to do a lot of freelance work in college. Really had a great uh, setup there because most of the classes they were teaching in the degree were classes I had already taken in high school. And so they're like, hey, if you can test out of them, then we'll let you kind of build your own program. So I was able to do a lot of designing my education for what I wanted to do in a career. The ones you were able to test out of because you took them in high school, do you think that was more because your high school experience was on military basis as opposed to a public education in Hamilton County who wasn't offering that? I think it's possible um, and probable. I mean, military schools are funded by the Department of Defense, so we don't lack for money. So I think the program we had in high school was definitely very advanced compared to most of what you'd get, probably at even most private schools at the time. So why'd you choose Chattanooga? Because you're a Navy brat, you're Carson Newman, which is up uh, north of Knoxville. What's the town? Uh, Jefferson City. How do you choose Chattanooga when you're a young kid like that? You know, I was... uh, Basically knew some people down here. I uh, was looking for a job, and there was a, a job opening at a small production company in Collegedale. Just seemed like the logical next step to come down here. And I, I mean, just from day one coming to Chattanooga, I remember walking across Walnut Street Bridge and looking at the city at nighttime, and I'm like, man, this place is incredible. Yeah. You know, this would be a great place to, to set up shop. Now, did you always have a burning desire, an entrepreneurial desire to have your own production company? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, it was... Uh, you know, a big part of it coming out of college was, oh, I want to start my own business, I want to do my own thing, or I want to go work at like, at the time it was CNN Sports Illustrated, you know, they had some stuff going on there and I had some contacts there. Um, so yeah, I had the drive to do something and, and you'll appreciate this, but one of the things that, you know, our industry traditionally you either go news or you go independent or corporate or whatever. And I kept talking to these, uh, people in news and production that had been there 20 years. And it was like the salaries they were making after being there 20 years. I'm like, I couldn't imagine that being my career in 20 years. So I kind of decided early on, okay, maybe that's not for me. I'm going to go independent, try to do my own thing. Yeah. Which was a good choice. And I can tell you from the broadcast side, particularly with consolidation, you know, salaries have been held down over the years. And that's, you know, one of the challenges today with staffing is not only is staffing a problem, but they haven't kept up. So great choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, the money is a lot better as a uh, stringer than it is, you know, as a freelancer than it it's is a tough the, life, though, the, isn't the it? full time. It, it can be. Yeah. And that's kind of the first part of my career. I was doing a lot of work with like ESPN, ABC Sports, but that required travel, you know, because I was part of the TV teams and things like that. And so after a couple of years of that, I was like, man, I'm ready to, to kind of settle down and, and try to actually build a production company so that I have the direct relationships with the clients and I can kind of hopefully guide the direction of, of my, uh, the way the company and my career goes from that point. So how long was it after you got to Chattanooga and worked for the production company in college still that you decided I'm going to work for myself? Six months. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you weren't too sure about that, were you? No, I, uh, I started working in May of 2000 and started my own company in uh, December. And what was that? FireEye Productions. Had a little bit of a disagreement with the employer at the time about uh, he was going to give me a dollar raise and instead decided to give me 50 cents. (laughs) And I thought, you know, I'm young. 
I don't need this job. So I just resigned and then went out in the parking lot and called everybody I met as a freelancer and lined up enough business over the next 90 days that would pay more than a year salary. We'll talk about that a little bit because I think there's a lot of folks who listen to this podcast who are kind of in that same position. I, I want to do this, but in a sense, they're afraid to. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those defining moments, right? Because there were some promises made and, you know, if I sold a deal, I'd get 20% of it and all this kind of stuff. And and I was selling deals, but I wouldn't get my 20%. And so that was part of the issue. And there'd be like a really big deal that I would be on the cusp of closing. And then my boss would kind of swoop in and close it. And then that would keep me from getting the commission, even though I'd been working it. So anyway, it was just one of those where I'm like, you know, I'm 22 years old. I really don't want to do this anyway. I'd rather do my own thing. Um, at the time, I didn't have any children. You know, I didn't really have any responsibilities. I could afford to fail, you know, and so I, I went for it. Well, and you've always been like, you just, he's the visionary. But he just, you know, dives in and bets on himself. He always believes, he's like, you know, we will figure it out. So in your relationship, you're more the details. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> like, he's the visionary. But I'm like, sometimes I'm like, stop, stop your visions. <laughs> What's the, the EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, you know, where <laughs> yeah. you've got the visionary and then the, the one that actually does the work? I know. We say we're like CEO and COO because I am the planner. You the tell executor. Me the, the executor. You tell me the plan, well, I'll get you there and then some. So your experience doing events and things like that, that's really detail-focused. Oh, for sure. And you never know what your path is, right? And sometimes you just kind of fall into a place or opportunities to come your way. But I really do feel like my, my time at the chamber and um, basically every job really led me to this position, right? You know, because we've established a great network. And even now, where I, re- I truly focus on the business development marketing aspect, we've hired a director of production who now focuses on all the details. But it's great to, um, just to be able to use all your past experiences for something that actually that works well now. We'll talk about that a little bit, because originally you wanted to be a teacher. You figured out that's not what you want to do. And you took the job after an internship with the chamber. And in that path, you probably established a lot of relationships with people around town. Oh, for sure, especially in my role as the director of the area councils. I was really blessed to be able to meet so many people in Chattanooga, which really has strongly helped our business in developing the local clientele. Um, So again, I feel like I was where I needed to be at the time, and I'm where I need to be now. Mm -hmm. And how did you guys meet? (laughs) You tell the story. So Andy actually (laughs) used to be a client of mine when she was at the chamber. And, uh, and that was back in 2003 when you first got here. And uh, But we were working together, and uh, I may or may not have wanted to ask her out at the time, but <laughs> I was still trying to figure out what was appropriate, you know, as it related to uh, client relations, right? But then, anyway, she went her way. I went my way. Years later, you know, uh, the moon's aligned, and the opportunity presented itself again, and I didn't miss it that time. So we've been together since 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And were you a client at that time? No. No. <laughs> no, it was all above board. Yeah. Uh, that would still be above board. Yeah. No. <laughs> I guess whenever you're a small company, you don't have an HR department. <laughs> no, well, at the time, you know, again, we had grown up a lot. And a lot of life had happened in between, but um, we've been together ever since. And when did you decide to start working with each other? October 2016. Yes. Yeah, so long story short, um, we had been dating for a little while and Chris was looking to hire a VP of marketing. And I was like, 
thank you, no thank you. <laughs> we have a good thing going. I don't want to mess it up. Then some things happened in my life that, um, you know, I was kind of felt like this was just a, a blessing that I couldn't say no to. You know, I thought, you know what? Kind of a difficult period in my life. So I thought, you know what? I'll do this for six months. <laughs> seven years <Yeah>. later. <laughs> and I was like, and then I'll figure something else out. It'll be good. And then seven years later, we're still here. <laughs> Talk about how it is to work together as spouses. It's amazing 100% of the time. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, where's she going with this? <laughs> no, I think it's, it's uh, not everybody can do it, right? So I think a big part of it was the respect that we have for each other professionally, mm-hmm. even before we became, you know. Yeah, because you knew each other in, a, years, in a different way yeah. for right, years. Right, right. I had watched her work. She'd watched me work. I mean, I was always very impressed with how she just is how she is, you know, and, and the way she operates around people, you know, and just builds those relationships. It's really been been great. And at the time, it's like, okay, yeah, it might be a little weird that we're uh, dating yeah. and you're going <laughs> to now come work for me. And I'm like, but in writing this job description, your picture is the only one I see. And so even if we weren't together, I would have been offering her a job to come work with us. So um, it just made sense to do that. And I think we've We've discovered over time that we're learning every day how to continue to work well together. Um, but I think the biggest part of it is to try hard to stay in your lane, right? Mandy has a lot of wonderful strengths. I have a lot of wonderful strengths. Not all of those strengths cross over. I like to jump lanes a lot. <laughs> she definitely comes over my lane more than I go into hers. But, uh, but no, I mean, I think it's, and it has its challenges, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're building a business for our family. And so... Sometimes when we're not uh, agreeing on something and then you have a, a, a meeting in five minutes, you got to get over it, you know, yeah. at least long enough to have the meeting and be productive in your business, you know. Yeah, you really can't just avoid each other. Mm-mm. So what's your perspective on working together, Mandy? I mean, I would echo what he said. I mean, I do feel like it really is not for everybody. And I feel like we have somehow figured it out. But I really do feel like it came because we knew each other for so long before. You know, had we just been straight out of high school or college working together, maybe it wouldn't have. But now like we both know we're great professionals and hopefully try to be good people. (laughs) You know, so there's that mutual respect. And one of the biggest things really, I think, in our marriage is because, you know, when you own a business, it, it's all encapsulating, right? So we have to remind ourselves, especially when we're home and with our kids, this is family time. Yeah. What was the name of your company when you started working there? Was it still FireEye? No, it was Six Strong. So why Six Strong? So with the previous company, FireEye Productions, my definition of success was quite different than it is now. Back then, it was how many employees do you have? What's your top line revenue? How many clients? All those things. So every dollar that we had made in the company, I was just putting right back into the business because I was trying to grow a $50 million company. And so had some really rapid growth, a lot of crazy things going on, but all this money just being pumped back in. I mean, I'm talking millions of dollars put back into the business over the years. And then uh, 2008 happened, you know. The great recession. Um, right. And you want to talk about money draining, you know, at rapid levels. Um, and at the time, I knew how to grow a company. I didn't know how to shrink one. And that was kind of where I feel like my downfall was whenever we're losing contracts left and right. It's like I didn't know how to step us down in a way to keep things healthy. So it just kind of all fell apart really fast. And then, uh, you know, I had a partner at the time and, and we just kind of decided, okay, Let's shut this one down. He went his way. And then the next day I started Six Strong Media. And what's the significance of the name? 
So the significance is that, okay, this time around, I'm going to try to do everything in a very uh, family first thought process. There's six in our family. So we're six strong. And so the idea was from the business plan to every invoice and everything, I want to be able to see that in the logo to be reminded that, hey, anytime I have to make a big financial decision or there's a big financial win, how does my family benefit from that first? And so we've just kind of run the business in that way. And, and there's been a lot of opportunities we have turned down and continue to not pursue because it would mean that we can't go watch our son play tennis at 3.30 on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, things like that. And that's just always been non-negotiable. Even before when I was very much in business growth mode, I still made it a point to go to all the things with the kids, but mentally I wasn't there. I mean, I was not present during that. And that has not been the case over the last 13, 14 years. How do you feel that has benefited not just your family, but your company? We really try to establish a culture, that family first culture with our employees, with our vendors and with our clients too. I mean, I made the risk sounding cheesy. We want it to be fun. Everybody that works with us. I mean, this is video production. You know, know it's hard, but we don't want it to be stressful for others. But the same thing with our team. Work hard, play hard, right? If you get your stuff done, I don't care what time you come in. You know, as long as you get it done. And if your kid has a doctor's appointment or something at school, no questions asked. Go to that. So, again, I feel like the more you are able to provide that culture, the better, the more loyal people are to you. And the happier they are, the more productive they are. You know, so it's a win-win for everybody. And you obviously have your team here, but you've got basically a team across the United States, don't you? Yeah, I mean, so that was a big part of coming out of the recession. What was funny is, you know, it, all at the same time, all of us video producers were essentially slashing our prices. So we're all just competing at the bottom, right, to try to get the work. But what I discovered was that people out of town were willing to pay more. So I started going after almost completely abandoned local business other than just the repeat clients. And I went after national stuff. And so I would be very competitive was doing pretty well with it. But what I kept running into was it would come down to us and another company and the other company would be local to that client. And so I have no shame as it relates to (laughs) asking people, why didn't you hire us? Because I want to be better. And I've learned a lot over the years in doing that. So what we realized was that we were losing because of the travel cost. I thought, okay, out of frustration, I'm like, you know what? I know a couple people in different cities. Let me reach out to them and say, hey, would you be willing to be part of our team? And that we pre-negotiated rates, so I know what the cost is every time, uh, which so it doesn't slow me down in the quoting process. Um, and so two or three crews in different cities became 20, became 50, became 200 now in major cities all over uh, the country. We say we have boots on the ground two hours from any major city in the United States. How were you able to pursue business outside of Chattanooga? A big part of that is a, uh, there's a, like an industry directory that we sign up for and we have premium accounts on, we kind of advertise with, and um, it's basically anybody in the country that does a search for what we do. This particular directory ranks really high in all the search engine placement, and we pay to have kind of higher ranking within their rankings. And it just... It's been great. I mean, we get a lot of a lot of leads come in that we didn't have to really go chase. So if I'm in San Jose and I search production companies, 
six drugs going to pop up and they're going to either send you an email or, or make a phone call. Yeah. And some cities is better than others. I mean, it, it depends on just the competitive, you know, landscape, right? Like for instance, you would think we'd get calls all the time from Atlanta, which we are now, but prior to now there hasn't been, but it's because there's so much competition that, you know, we're way down in the listing compared to a Nashville or, yeah. or Charlotte or DC. I mean, we're, <laughs> we rank well in DC. So related to those crews, you got 200 across the country. How do you keep the six strong culture present with them? I'd like to believe that everybody reads our culture sheet and our values <laughs> that we send to them when we sign them up as a vendor, but you know they don't. <laughs> but as we bring crews on and vet them and work with them, we always lead with, okay, here's the deal. Here's what our expectations are for our client. You know, we want this to be easy for them, right? We just set the expectation with the crew. Here's our beliefs. Look, not necessarily the client's always right. I mean, we're the experts, but we want them to have a good experience. And then we always follow up afterwards with the crew and the client. And honestly, if the client has any negative feedback, there's a lot of times we're like, okay, that's the last time we've worked with that crew, you know? So we just really try to set that expectation on the front end of what our culture and beliefs are. How typical is it for a production company to go to that trouble to have a list of expectations and culture on paper that you're sharing with your freelance staff? I mean, traditionally, it doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, it just yeah. doesn't happen. We're very much a, uh, a turn and burn industry, right? Slash and burn probably is a better way to say <laughs> it. But uh, no, I mean, and that's just, that's where it came in. I mean, we put ourselves through, you know, the story brand process Did you? Um, a couple of years ago. And one of the things we kept running into was just like, how can we be different or how are we different? Because we do great work, but so does everybody else. I mean, really at this point in time, I mean, there's just a lot of competitors that make really good quality videos. So it's no longer really about the technical or the creative advantage, right? What we kept coming back to is like, okay, what are we creating that others aren't? And what we're creating is a good experience with production. You know, I mean, a lot of times people are reluctant to hire a film crew because they don't want to feel bad about themselves when they show up <laughs> on set. And, you know, you've got a pretentious director who's just yelling all the time and everybody's uncomfortable, you know, or whatever. I mean, it's just like, that's not us. That's not me. It never has been. But what we haven't done prior to now, and this is what I, I give Mandy all the credit for, is just people know immediately after they start working with us how good the experience is, but they don't know just before they hire us how good the experience will be. And so Mandy's done a fantastic job of marketing to that and the telling those stories. So a lot more people are hiring us because they think it'll be a great experience before they actually experience it. And that has made all the difference in our growth. Talk a little bit about the story brand experience for those who aren't familiar with that process. Yeah. I mean, I basically bought... Uh, myself, Mandy, and Madeline, our director of production, who also plays a big role in our marketing and social media. Um, I just said, hey, book club time. Let's all read this book, and then let's schedule time to actually go through each chapter and execute what it's saying. And then at the end of this process, how, I mean, I don't know, what did we do? Like a year? Well, I mean, Chris is like, let's hammer it out in two days. I'm like, no, <laughs> right, right. no, <laughs> no, we're, we're going to do this. Like, I think we met once a week for like six months, you know, it's, it was like bite-sized chunks in which at the end of that, we had our new tagline, our new messaging. We learned who we were and who we wanted to be for our clients, you know? So basically we're like, you know what we do? We create great affordable videos without the hassle. Yeah, That's what we do. We make it a fun experience, you know? And so it, even in all of our branding, we use lots of behind the scenes photos and take fun crew photos and just things like that to show that, you know, we're not that pretentious production company. 
we're good, but we're also fun. So it'll be a good experience. Well, in our, in our tagline that came out of that process was we offer a faster, simpler way to make great videos without all the hassle. And that seems to resonate with people. Did you find the fact that you took six months to go through the process that it was retained more? Rather than let's get through this, you know, like you go to a seminar and everyone comes out of that seminar like, oh, I'm going to do this. <laughs> yeah. And you might do 2% of the stuff that you learned. But the fact that you took it as bite-sized bits. That's right. I mean, that was really helpful to us. And again, you know, I come from a lot of different, I mean, I've worked with a lot of different organizations. So I've been through these type of things before. I've done it every type of way, right? And on one hand, I mean, you want to be done and get it done. But at the same time, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. And, and really sit with some of this and marinate on it. And each week, we might revisit what we discussed the week before because we had time to rethink about mm-hmm. something. So I know for us, um, yeah, I'm glad we were patient with that process. Yeah, it makes a difference. Um, we've got a few more questions for you. I want to know about midlife kayakers. <laughs> you don't have enough time. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So probably a year ago, one of my best friends, Jake Wade, introduced me to kayaking. Like, And when I say kayaking, I'm using my quote fingers here, kayaking. <laughs> We're the uh, class one in the creek kayakers, right? We're not out All doing the Koei. stuff. <laughs> that is kayaking. Well, that's, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's, stuff that's what I'm learning. That's what I'm learning. <laughs> so I started doing that. And so really kind of the quick version is for the last 20 years, you know, I've been running a company, trying to grow a business, raising a family, you know, doing all those things. One thing that I hadn't really done in the last 20 years is anything for me, you know, in terms of what's a hobby. I mean, hobby was work, right? Work was hobby. Uh, so when I discovered, man, there's some things that I actually really love going out here and doing. I mean, who cares what the outcome is, right? Just get out there and, and do it. And I mean, and I fell many times. I mean, the, the biggest goal for me, the first several months of kayaking was how do I stay in the boat more, <laughs> more than I'm out of it. Right. So just worked on that. Um, but really what's kind of cool is it's the whole midlife aspect of it is, you know, Jake and I have been best friends for 20 years, but we have probably spent more time together in the last six months than we have collectively over the last 20 years, just because we finally found something that we're like, heck yeah, man, let's go. I mean, we're, we're sneaking out of work early to go kayak. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just Becoming so much a problem. Fun. <laughs> right. And so one of the other things that he and I've always wanted to do was start some kind of company together. Right. And just could never really figure out what made sense or, you know, he would want to do this, but it didn't really work for me. And I'd want to do that. Same thing wouldn't work for him. And finally I was like, we're out here doing this anyway. Why don't we throw some, uh, like 360 cameras on our kayaks and just see what happens. So we start, you know, we formed an LLC and we're in the process of putting together a, a show that we're going to post on YouTube and things like that and sell merchandise. And, you know, so it's myself, Jake Wade and Chad Boyd. Uh, Chad is fantastic, world-class like graphic designer. So he's the one that's coming up with all our design work. And it's really, really a cool thing. Any desire to sell the show or just keep it on YouTube as an independent type? Production? You know, I don't know. One of the, uh, beautiful things about this is I really don't care. I mean, I'm just, it's just out there. And Honestly, what we're hoping and what me and my buddies are hoping is that we can just get uh, to a point where, you know, the beer's free because somebody's involved in sponsoring the show or whatever. Um, and maybe like if we want to do a cool kayak trip somewhere in Colorado, some resort or something, we'll pay us to do that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just, just, yeah, I mean, if we, can, if we can finance our hobby, 
I think that would be a cool, a cool thing. Chris, again, being the visionary, you know, of course, he's like, oh, well, midlife kayakers can be, you know, have 10 million views on YouTube. And I'm like, it could. Yeah. It could also just have five. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could be yeah. our family, but it could be a fun, yeah. something that you guys do together. So let's focus on that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what it is. I mean, we're just, we're playing around with it. Um, who knows? Right now we're going through the, you know, how do we find a good on-demand merchandise supplier and, you know, I mean, all, all the things, but we're just having fun with it and we don't have any timeline and we don't have any investors to answer to. So we do it when we want to. What's your escape, Mandy? Oh, gosh, besides drinking wine on the back porch. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty good escape. No, we have four kids. I don't know if we've established that or not. So, I mean, I really do feel like we're not working. We're at a function, you know, whether it's wrestling or football or you're at that stage of life. Oh, 100%. Going. And so we really have to be cognizant of what are we going to do for us? You know, at times you forget about it because you're so busy with the kids and everything else. So really, I, I do enjoy a good book. I do enjoy a nice glass of wine. And we have a, a deck. And we really just go out there and just sit. That's perfect. All right. So last question to both of you, and I'll let you answer it individually. And you both had interesting paths here. And you started really young, too. So what would you tell your 25-year-old self is important for a happy life? And we'll start with you, Mandy. That's a great question. You know, my 25-year-old self, um, I mean, I've always been very ambitious and career-driven and always looking at the next level, right, the next promotion What's or whatever. Next? What's uh-huh. next? And what I can say about my 40s is I'm like, man, you know, I feel good. I finally found that work-life balance. You know, I really have. And it's there's so much peace in that, you know, and so, you know, I would tell my 25 year old self to maybe not be scared to take more risk and always do a good job, but maybe not be so worried about what the boss is going to say or getting fired or whatever, you know, because um, I'm, I'm the cautious one of the couple, you know, I'm going to plan everything out, but, you know, maybe just take more risk and to really try to enjoy every moment because because we aren't promised tomorrow. So just, you know, have fun. Yeah, that's so important because looking back, I was so concerned with pleasing the person I had to please. That's right. That you sometimes forgot to please yourself. take care of yourself <laughs> or your family and everything else. Yep. All right, Chris, what about you? You know, I think it would be slow down and uh, stay the course. I mean, there's been a lot of uh, entrepreneurial desires over the years or squirrel moments where you've got a good thing going here, but it's kind of like it's three yards in a cloud of dust, you know, and, you know, singles and doubles. And then, but you get kind of bored with singles and doubles. So you start chasing the grand slam and every now and then you hit it, but the amount of time and money and resources and things that get wasted by doing that, if you would have just kept focusing on the singles and doubles, they would be adding up to that anyway. And that's one thing. And singles and doubles are a lot easier to manage they're a lot easier from a stress standpoint. I mean, you can go home at six o'clock at night and, you know, but when you have those really big kind of crazy, aggressive um, things that you're chasing, it just kind of impacts everything. I feel like we've done a really good job over the last several years of basically just being like, you know what, we know what we do. We know what we're really good at and that's where we're going to live, you know, and we'll have clients that'll ask us, oh, well, can you guys handle placing our media or doing social media stuff. And we're like, no, I mean, can we? Sure. But we don't want to. But we, we know someone yeah. who does. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. So you've learned how to say no. Yeah. I think and in talking to a lot of folks about their journeys, that is one that resonates, you know, because you've got so much stuff coming at you. And then there's that one, as you said, chasing the squirrel that says, man, I really need to pursue this. And you spend a lot of time doing it. And then the other stuff you're doing really well gets neglected. 
Well, a big part for me was worry. You know, I was yeah. always worried about something. I mean, there was a time in my business where I'm like, man, I've got 80 grand in receivables and I can't make my car payment because nobody's paying me. So at that point, I was like, okay, now I've got to figure out how to be better with collections. So I would study that. And then whatever was the next big problem, let me go study that. And then over time, you just start to build these processes that now, I mean, what we do is hard, but I'm to the point now where it's like, I've got great people, great processes, great clients. I'm good. The big problem for me, I mean, I don't want to sound crazy when I'm saying this, but the big problem for me is just figuring out when's the next time I'm going to go kayaking. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's really become I mean, a problem. <laughs> I mean, it's like, this is all great and I'm, and I'm in, but don't schedule a meeting for me at, you know, after lunch on Friday, because there's, there's 99 other things I'd rather do than be here. And one thing I know John Riddell taught me years ago, he said, you know what, Chris, he was like, business can happen in places other than your office chair. Absolutely. And he was way ahead of his time. That was way pre-COVID and all. And I didn't really understand it then, but I do now. Right. Business happens in a lot of places and they, a lot of them end up being relationship based. That's right. Well, and we have the master relationship builder and on, on our team, <laughs> Mandy. Yeah, she is, she's incredible. Well, you guys make a heck of a team, and I'm really impressed with what you've done with your company and just the way you serve Chattanooga and, and each other and your family and really enjoyed talking to you today. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Costa Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.